This episode is brought to you by the generous patrons who supported us over at patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we want to give a big thank you to our patrons, Kate Prostaskius, Leroy, Josh, Tiana, Falangor, Spike, Chris, Konohamaru, Buyag, Starry, Red Dead Coquette, Logan, Punching Potato, and Jen Solo. Thank you again for helping us to put a little more inspiration out into the world. And now, onto the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another faded episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. And on this very special day, we are joined by not one, but two guests. Our first guest is no stranger to longtime listeners and fellow Patreon patrons, Tiana Hansen. Hi. Say hi, Tiana. Hi, guys. Hey. And now, unlike Tiana, our second guest is new to the show. This gentleman is an accomplished computer programmer who has worked for the likes of companies such as Tryon Worlds, Microsoft, and Zynga. And he's worked on such video games as EverQuest 1 and 2, Star Wars Galaxies, and Trove. Beyond that, he has also played in two metal bands, playing guitar for one named Pure and doing lead vocals for another called Abomination Zero. But cool as these are, that's not how I found him. Taking a step back, I had heard about the Fate RPG system a while back. I hadn't tried it yet, but in the past year, I've felt myself feeling a bit disenchanted with Dungeons & Dragons. Not that it's bad or anything, but I have wanted a change. So I finally picked up Fate, struggled to understand it, and so I started looking for help. This is when I learned about our second guest. You see, I found an inspiring, thought-provoking series of articles that were compiled by fans into a digital book that was affectionately named The Book of Hans. In my opinion, The Book of Hans is a journey of discovery taken by someone who pushed themselves to reconsider the way they look at the tabletop RPG hobby they have enjoyed for decades, and realizing that the Fate RPG system presented a completely different way to experience it. Crucially, the articles don't just tell us about the experience, but instead take us by the hand guiding us through realizations and epiphanies alike, and doing so with obvious empathy and a clear understanding of where many of us are coming from. Because fate does things so differently, many of us who mainly play lots of D&D struggle to wrap our heads around how and why it does what it does. The Book of Hans acts as a bridge between the way many of us always thought things were allowing us to truly access and embrace something wonderfully different and extremely special. So, after reading the Book of Hans, I realized how amazing and, to me, revelatory it was, and I knew I wanted to share it with as many folks as possible. That's how the Fate School Project came about, and this project is what prompted me to track down our guest and beg him to lend us his unique and special expertise. And so it is with unmitigated excitement and great pleasure that I introduce to you not only our guest for this episode, but for this entire Fate School series, our professor and guide on this journey, Mr. Robert Hans. Hey, all out there in TV land. 
uh, thanks for the introduction. You actually made me sound pretty cool for once in my life. <laughs> you know, that's that's uh, if that's one sort of thing I can put on my resume, I think. Uh, he, he did mention you're in a metal band twice, <laughs> which yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Andrew's a really great hype man. Yeah. I oh, yeah. Yes. Beep, 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 beep. He gets, he I haven't gets done excited. one of those in a while. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was great. Um, yeah. Well, welcome to the show, dude. Uh, we're really glad to have you. Uh, as I said, my pleasure being here. You know, one of the things since since I kind of went through this curve, you know, coming from games like D&D and GURPS mostly, I've always enjoyed, even when I'm playing with people, kind of showing them what it is and maybe giving them a different perspective and a different way of looking at things. And I think that's, to me, one of the coolest things about Fate is it did change how I look at RPGs as a whole. You know, I've taken those lessons even now when playing traditional games. And I have now look at some things in some of the more traditional games even differently than when I, you know, before I played Fate. I'm like, oh, maybe that's what they were trying to do. You know, that kind of thing. Mm, yeah. yeah. Usually that kind of idea can come when we're, like, trying to fiddle with rules. Like, I'm a big meddler when it comes to rules <laughs> and usually when we Maybe when we try like new systems and stuff like i'm always trying some dumb crafting system or something and uh i usually learn why the rules are the way they are uh when you do such experiments yeah it is that, crazy yeah that's that's the big thing for me and that's actually one of the things i wrote is is you know it's it makes sense to understand why the rules and anything and not just fate but any system mm -hmm. are the yeah. way they are before you start mucking with them because until yeah. you kind of understand what they're doing, you're probably just going to make things worse. Or maybe, not probably, you might discover something totally new and cool, too. And that's also awesome. Well, it's like approaching any art form. It, you know, it, you have to understand the fundamentals before you can develop style, right? Yeah. And so, and that's a mistake of a lot of young artists is, oh, I this isn't wrong. It's my style. It's like, no. Uh, you don't, you don't, it is wrong and you don't have style you, you just don't have the foundation right and so yeah style is here but it, it needs cultivation so yeah and I, and I definitely see this as an art form yeah and i think like you know talking about like style versus fundamentals i think there's a kind of an interesting thing and, and this gets back to what we're going to be talking about is if it's your style because that's what you're choosing to do that's your style if it's your style because that's the only thing you can do, that's not right, a style. Yeah. That, that's you. Def uh, that's defining yourself. That's defining <laughs> yourself by your limitations. Yeah. That's that. That's a great way to put that. Yeah. I I like that. I love that. If 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 it's all you can do, it ain't style. That's just you doing. Yeah. Very. Uh, then very again, cool. I do love me some character actors. You know. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, who doesn't like Steve Buscemi? Uh, anyway, um, should we get so, started? Yeah, yeah. Typically, we uh, as as is our as is our way. We normally um, intro for about a week before we get to the topic. <laughs> but right. um, yeah. we are we are diving in to some pretty deep stuff. So before we jump in, because this is going to be kind of a unique experience for all of us. Um, to let anyone who's listening at home kind of know up front how this is going to go, here are the details. So basically, what you are, what we are going into is, like I mentioned earlier, we're calling it Fate School, where 
my hope is that through this series, you should be able to sit down and once all these episodes are done, I'm thinking it'll probably be about four to five episodes. You should be able to have listened to these episodes and ideally by the end, know how to play fate and have a good understanding of why it does what it does and kind of be able to wrap your head around things. Um, some nice things about fate is that the resources are at least for the main, uh, system, it's all free. So as you're listening to this, if you want to go, uh, pick up the book, you might be able to find a hard copy that you could buy at a uh, local game store, but online you can go to fate, F-A-T-E dash srd.com slash fate dash core. And you can, at that uh, address, you can access the entire rule set, the same thing you would find in the printed book for free online and also uh, at its same um, homepage, fatesrd.com. You can also find the rules for uh, Fate Accelerated and Fate Condensed, which are slightly tweaked versions of the system that we may wind up touching on in uh, some of the final episodes. Um, and then the other... Uh, resource you'll want to access is the book of Hans that I mentioned earlier, written by our esteemed guest. And you can find that at book of Hans.com B O O K O F H A N Z. Um, so if you need to pause, go download some stuff, go do that. Um, and maybe grab a sheet of paper. And as we're going through this, um, Rob is going to be teaching us and at certain points in the episodes, we'll have different exercises that, um, that we do together. And the intent with those is that in theory, you should be able to kind of do them along with us. So if we get to an exercise and we start doing it, feel free to pause the episode try doing the exercise with us and then resume it once you're ready and go along with us and we can all learn together. So I think it, I'm excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. You guys ready? Ready, I'm ready. ready. All right. I'm ready too. Let's do it. So, uh, Mr. Hans, I just, the floor is yours. Class is in session. All right. I do want to say one thing. If you're approaching fate for the first time, my recommendation, my strong recommendation would actually be to look at fate condensed. Uh, it was written in, I want to say 2020. Um, so it had the advantage of basically seven years of explaining things to people on the internet behind it. There's the rule changes uh, between it and core are very, very minor. There's only a couple fairly small things. Um, some things are just kind of conglomerated. There's been a historical process of fate saying, hey, these two things are basically the same. Let's combine them. And that's continued from core to condensed. But it is 99% mm -hmm. the same system. The explanations are far more clear, and it doesn't have a lot of the stuff that's really kind of unnecessary that seems to muddy the waters when people get into the system. It's like, oh, I need to use this. Yeah, no, you don't. You don't need that. Here, here's what you really need. Condensed is, I think, really the best place 
to start fate, your fate journey today. There you go. That's great to know. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, so I'm going to start this and I'm going to kind of pitch fate to you. Um, and hopefully everyone, I know everyone on this podcast is already, I don't need to pitch you. You seem to be very interested in it. And hopefully the people know. listening. I'm a bit skeptical. All right. Well, that, then I, I, that, that makes my job more fun. <laughs> um, but I, when, I, when I pitch a game of fate to people and I'm like playing with people that, you know, and, and usually if I'm playing with a new group or something, you know, I've moved a bunch since 2013. Uh, there are people that haven't played fate before. There are people that are, are more familiar with games like D&D or GURPS or, or, you know, basic role playing or Pathfinder or any of these other games that are kind of have similar bases to them, right? You kind of, the structurally, they're very similar. And so I kind of always want to, I start by pitching fate. And the first thing I'm going to say is fate is not going to replace D&D. Um, fate's a different game. It does different things. So, I mean, it might replace D&D for you if those are really the things you wanted to be doing all along. But it's not going to be a quote-unquote better D&D. Fate's a very bad D&D. Um, and I actually recommend people starting not to do D&D for that reason because you, you see a and d like scenario, you're going to want to do D&D-like things and it's going to get confusing. Um, mm. So in my mind, what Fate really does is it emulates fiction. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to get like a, a publication quality story at the end of your game. That's, that's a little extreme, though people have used fate as a tool in writing rooms. Um, but what it does mean is it presents things and the game is going to flow more like a movie than it would what, what I at least previously expected from an RPG. Um, and a lot of that's just how things are presented. Like if you look at uh, D&D or Pathfinder or something like that, you know how much money your character has down to the silver piece, right? When was the last time you saw a movie and knew how much money the character had? When was the last mm. time that was actually relevant? Hmm. When was the last time in a fight, in a, watching a fight scene in a movie that you could sit, really sit there and accurately diagram where everybody was? I can't mm. recall doing that. I can't recall that ever being important, but there's things like, oh, these people are over here. These people are over here. Those are important concepts that need to make sense. Um, and so those are the things that fate is going to, to kind of do. And it's very good at that. If you think about stories, there's a lot of things that happen in stories that we don't see happening in, our, in most RPGs. In most stories, the protagonists lose a lot all the time. Sure, they finally win in the end, but along the way, they lose and they sacrifice and they have to dust themselves off. Um, I can't think of a single movie where, like, the protagonists win every single fight scene. They, they get what they want in every scene. But that is, in, for a lot of RPGs, kind of the default assumption. Um, mm. does, that, does that make any sense? Yeah. Can you think 100%. of 100%. Can you think of yeah. a movie maybe, and I've, I've got a couple in mind where like maybe the protagonist pretty much lost the entire movie. Uh, yeah, you know, I've actually been enjoying uh, the She-Hulk series quite a lot. I know that's controversial, like a lot of people don't like it, but what I really enjoy about it is that she loses constantly. She makes the uh, wrong decisions, you know, and it's comedic, but it's all leading somewhere. It's all leading to mm. a greater character and greater version of storytelling. So that's a good example. My favorite example, and I actually use this as, and we'll get into this later, like for calibrating difficulties and fade point usage, um, is Empire Strikes Back. 
the heroes oh, yeah. lose oh, the entire movie. And it's Nobody still likes a great that movie. movie. And it's, yeah, <laughs> nope. Everybody hates that movie. No one would ever <laughs> want an experience like that in their RPG. It's Who definitely ever not everyone's favorite Star Wars. I mean, <laughs> definitely the, the, not. the movie ends with a major loss. Like they're in, oh, yeah. they're in their darkest night at that point. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. That's true. And there's almost no movies where you win all the time. Um, and Fate's really, really good at that. That's where fate wants to be. And in fact, that's one of the key understandings, I think, of running fate. And this is before we get into mechanics, is I'll show you how the mechanics support this idea. Um, but one of the key things in fate is that when we have an encounter or a scene or we're, we're in this place and there's some obstacle in front of us, right? Anything like that. In a lot of traditional RPGs, um, you know, depend, and there's lots of different cultures of play, but this is fairly consistent it's generally assumed you're going to win most of the time. It's it's an obstacle. It's a puzzle. It's a challenge to overcome. And the, in most cases, the general assumption is that it should be a fair obstacle. You know, if it's more sandbox, then okay, it should be a fair obstacle. And if it's too much for you, then there should be fair ways to avoid it, right? That becomes a challenge. We're just shifting where the challenge is. Mm-hmm. But it should be a fair challenge. You should expect, you know, unless you make a lot of mistakes or the dice are really against you, that you're you can win most of the time if you play well. And right. fate works better. Mm. You know, I, I like to say fate works best for me generally if the players are losing between one and four and one and two and half the time. So you play a game with me, you're 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 gonna win some, you're gonna lose some. Um, and so that's that's a really big thing. So that's the interesting thing to me about fate is it's a game about sacrifice in a lot of ways. It's a game about what's important to you. It's a game that emulates fiction and all of my examples and all the exercises that we do and talk about are going to be based upon movies and TV shows and books. I'm never going to say this is how it would work in reality. Now let's be clear. When we talk cinematic, I don't mean cinematic in the, you know, uh, Rambo style where they're basically superhumans and nothing can hurt them. Um, cinematic can mean a wide variety of things from very gritty and, and realistic all the way to completely over the top. And fate does all those. Um, but what fate lets you do is it lets you kind of step into the shoes of somebody in that situation. That is an author. A lot of people like to say that I disagree with that, but as the character who is, okay, we're going to be proactive. Here's a problem. I'm going to do something to solve it. I can be reasonably presumed to be able to solve it. If I'm, if it's a small thing within a larger thing, maybe I can't fix the big thing, but I'm going to focus on the little thing I can fix. They're competent. That doesn't mean that they're hyper competent. Doesn't mean that they can beat everybody handily without worrying about it. Sure, that can be fun in some shows or whatever, but most movies don't involve characters that just literally defeat everybody. Or if they are that you know, incredibly competent. Think of John Wick. Um, there are, you know, some select enemies that are equal to them, and they're also dealing with masses and just, you know, overwhelming amounts. So one way or the other, they're, they are fighting a challenge that is worthy of them. But they are competent. They don't lose because they are dumb. They lose because they are fighting hard things. They are overcoming difficult challenges, and that's an important thing. Um, mm. And so that's not necessarily how a lot of RPGs work. Again, in RP- most RPGs, most traditional RPGs, especially if you're doing like an adventure path kind of thing, it's presumed you're going to win most fights. 
that fights should be fair. You should be able to overcome them unless things go horribly wrong. Yeah, we have death as a consequence, but you know, we don't really expect it to happen that often. And more or less, we're kind of kind of go along. Whereas again, in fate, and this is the thing, if once you start having every scene be you could win or you could lose, how things are going to play out becomes unknown. So that's the other thing is that it's really player driven in a lot of ways. Not entirely. It's not like players are writing the story and the GM's on his heels or her heels the whole time going, ah, I have to react to this. And I can't, I have no control over anything. You know, that's another uh, misconception. But it is better for games where you accept that the story of the game is what happens when your obstacles and your NPCs meet the players and the players decide how they're going to deal with the problems you're presenting. Any questions on that? Any any anything I can clarify that? Does that sound interesting and fun, or you're like, oh my god, that sounds like a creative writing workshop? I don't want to do this. No, I I really like it. I, I actually like a lot of story based games where the resource is typically a thing where you trade losses for wins in some areas. And and based on my cursory look at this game. It would, it would appear to be a thing where many times players opt into their own, um, not loss necessarily, but like you take the L so that you can get the W somewhere else. 100%. That is absolutely a thing in fate. One of the things I like to say about fate is that characters in fate can succeed at just about anything. Um, if you're willing to throw your resources, primarily fate points and consequences at something, you, uh, unless something is just completely overwhelmingly, you know, outside of your league, you're going to succeed at just about anything. But what you can't do is succeed at everything. Hmm. So that is 100% a big part of fate where, where you have that question, is this really worth it? Yeah, I could win here, but how much do I actually care? Hmm. It. You know, it seems like it, it almost, uh, from a, from in a broader sense, uh, almost becomes kind of a push your luck mechanic. Like you only have so many fate points. You only have so many, uh, slots for, um, for stress and consequences, which we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. Um, you can only, Basically, you can only take so much punishment or so much loss before your character is basically just taken out, um, which we'll also get to later. But, um, you know, you're you're looking at, you know, when we talk about taking the L in one place to get the W somewhere else, what what gets interesting to me is like you can't take L's forever and the extremity of the L's you can take are, you know, depends on what your character's been through already, which I, I think is very interesting. Yeah. And, and, and you said earlier, you know, this, you know, does this sound like a creative writing prompt? And then that's a bad, I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm, I mean, I, I'm a writer. I love that sort of thing. Agreed. And one of the things that really appeals to me is, the sense of characters earning the win that it never feels like it's given to them that it's like, okay, you have been through all of this, everything. And now you finally have the resources to get that break. And I love that. I love that in storytelling. So, so do I so much. And as a storyteller, as an author, I'm going to talk about some concepts that you're going to go. Yes. Well, of course that's that. And you're going to completely understand some of the things. 
Um, I've often heard that Fate is a game that is best played by people that are authors, and I disagree with that. However, there's some truth to that, and I think it is best run by somebody that has at least a cursory understanding of writing. Um, mm. or at least willing to read a book or two, right? You don't have to be a published author, but if you're at least willing to to sit down and read a book, that can massively help. And when we talk about aspects, you're going to be like the first person to kind of click into that and go, oh, I get it now. Um, I almost guarantee that. Um, but yeah, no, that's that to me is one of the really cool things. And it's really good because I keep talking about how often you fail at fate. And it's true, you fail far more in fate than almost any game. Usually failure doesn't mean death, but I find that, you know, it's it is a a it creates a lot of tension. That real loss that people see and is demonstrated creates a lot of tension, even if the stakes are not death. Um but the fact that you can nope out of the loss by spending fade points by doing other things also makes it more palatable in my in my experience. When mm. when players have the option of okay, I didn't unlock the door, the guards are coming. Um, oh, it sucks that the, the the guards are coming. There's nothing I can do. There's a feeling of helplessness that happens. Mm-hmm. And by giving players the resources to say yes, I can change that. I don't have to lose here. Um, it empowers the players to take that loss without creating as much feeling of helplessness. And sometimes it's, yeah, I don't have the resources because I already spent them, but you know what? I'm okay with that because that was worth it. Or sometimes it's, I shouldn't have spent it there and I'm going to do it better in the future. But it's always, mm. there's something more to it than just, oh, the dice are out to get me. Yeah, there's a sense of, of empowerment with that where it's like, it's not just ironically uh, up to fate. Very good. Yeah, that is that is good. That's a good insight. Yeah, I I have run a ton of D and D. I have run a smattering of other D twenty based games. Uh, I've played a couple times, (laughs) and uh, I've been. I've always noticed how frustrated players get when they when they take those L's, Um, because it does feel like either they're being railroaded by the DM. Or because of of bad luck, like we're you know people are constantly blaming roll twenty for, <laughs> oh, for, yeah. for their woes, you know, because it's an it's an easy way to kind of vent frustration without it like feeling personal to anyone. Um, I don't suck. It was lag. It was I lagged. Right. Yeah, it's kind of the oh, I lagged of the man. RPG community. It's totally. very true. Except for in those platforms, like lag is real. Um, so I really like giving players that power it's um from a from a writing standpoint i mean you're you're really you're talking about character agency right yeah you know it's um your your ability to feel like you have influence and to have that manifest in a meaningful way absolutely i mean and again i'm going to go back to movies and think of think of your typical D adventure path um, something that's published. And you kind of can't get around this. It's a limitation of the medium and a limitation of, of publishing and, you know, having to constrain things enough that you can actually prepare for them in advance with the, your published material. But mo- so many of them are, you know, the characters are either always completely reactive and having to respond to something or being pushed in a direction or totally. being ordered mm-hmm. or anything like that. You know, and we can call it, you know, linear, you can call it whatever you want. I prefer linear. I prefer to use railroading for situations where players are 
promised a nonlinear game, but are in fact served one with a high side helping of, of deception. Um, mm-hmm. Cause people can like those types of very linear games and that's totally cool too. Um, I, I'm not gonna, the, the RPG hobby is not one hobby. It's like 20 different hobbies that are tangentially related. Um, but well, Helen, you know, a- anyone who's ever actually ridden on a train can, can definitely attest to the fact that it is possible for a train ride to suck, but there is also something, uh, such thing as, as a beautiful train ride too. So like, even if it is a railroad, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad time, right? Also, you you might not like going off the rails quite as much in that, in that scenario. <laughs> That's um, very true. We definitely <laughs> like our rails. That's right. There's a time and a place. And so, I, I think there's actually a lot of value to railroads, and we're probably diverging slightly, um, or railroad yeah. or linear games. I'll use linear games as a more neutral term. In that they sure. really allow the GM to focus on, okay, I'm going to set up this next this next set of encounters that are going to be awesome. They're going to be super bespoke. They're going to be really well designed and crafted with a lot of individual things that are just awesome. And, you know, if that's really what you're looking for is those cool set pieces, if you're looking for some of those real, oh, you know, this thing was planned all along. Those experience, that's the only way you can really get those experience. Because if you're having to improvise and kind of don't know where things are going to go, you can't, nobody has enough time to put that kind of bespoke effort into everything that might happen. So, you know, and again, it's like I said with Fade, it's not necessarily going to replace D&D. Or if it is, it's because D&D wasn't the right game for you in the first place. If you're happy with D&D, you'll probably still like D&D for doing D&D-like things better than Fade. Um, but it's a matter of, okay, what, what are we trying to get? What are we focusing on? And fate focuses very heavily on that kind of high level agency at the level of, okay, how are we going to accomplish this? What happens? And the story is definitely going to be different in a massive way based on our decisions, where we go, what we do is all going to be different than if you started another party with the exact same, um, starting place. Like if you play mass effect. Yeah, there's some changes you can make that Adam have some don't impact. Like no Mass Effect. <laughs> but at the end of the day, everybody's experience with Mass Effect is 90% the same. Yeah, that's true. You know, you're, you're going to but the we same do enjoy places. That, right? And you yeah, enjoy yeah. that ride, and it's a great ride. And I've played Mass yep. Effect several times, Mass Effect 2. They're fantastic games. But I know that every time I jump on that ride, I'm going on that particular ride. And sometimes what I want is to drive off into the wilderness. Yeah. So I think at this point... I'm pretty sold. I think everybody <laughs> here is pretty sold. Uh, I definitely want to start diving into systems and how do I actually play this dang game? Okay. The most important thing in Fate, and it's fact called the golden rule, and I'm going to get into this and I'm going to give you some examples and you might even say that doesn't sound like an RPG. That just sounds like talking and you're 100% correct. But I'm going to argue that that is the core of the Fate system is what we call fiction first. Now, Fate uses the word fiction in two senses in its blurbs. First is fiction first, and the section is fiction, not physics. And what I've been talking about so far is mostly fiction, not physics, um, in that we're trying to emulate stories and media. We're not trying to make a, a simulation, a simplified simulation of the world that we push buttons and see what the machine spits out. The way you basically play Fate um, at the core, and this is not different from lots of parts of other games, is the GM tells you what's up. You say what your character wants to do in terms of the game world. Um, you, this 
realistically, you're going to be informed by the mechanics, but fundamentally, you should be thinking in terms of what is my character doing in the game world. If you start by speaking mechanic speech, you've, you probably missed the boat. Um, and that's, I mean, and it's, it's really great because we can actually, I can get new players playing Fade in five minutes because of that. Because wow. the mechanics can be hidden sufficiently or that's nudged incredible. into gently enough that that is the core of it. So, like, my, my simplest example of fake gameplay is you're at the top floor of an inn. Something's happened. You want to go downstairs. Jim says, oh, yeah, there's a commotion downstairs. You say, I want to go downstairs. Jim says, okay, you walk down the stairs and you're not downstairs. And that's the simplest thing um, because that is the core loop. That is you declaring an intent and an action. I steal these turns from Burning Wheel. You know, that basically means is your intent is what you're trying to accomplish. In this case, I want to be on the bottom floor. And your task is how you're going to accomplish that. So then as a GM, I sit there and say, okay, is there anything stopping this? Is there any way that this could go wrong in an interesting way? No? Okay, cool. It happens. We're not touching the, the game mechanics at that point because we don't need to. And it's, it, this is, I think, an important principle because really what we say is driving the mechanics. The me- it's not a situation where like combat in, in some games where you could not describe everything and the game would still be playable. Right. So the, the, thus what is spoken becomes secondary and kind of a description of the mechanics. In this case, we use the mechanics to resolve it when the spoken things, the answer is not obvious. Hmm. And that's probably not what you're looking for yet, but I do think it's an important thing to note. Any questions or comments on that? Yeah. It wasn't uh, so much of a question is like an observation of the difference of the systems where um, DD at its beginning as a war game and story was added onto it um and it and it's become the game that we know now where people have differing uh views on how important the mechanics versus the story are but at its most basic it it is that simulation uh that you were talking about and so uh it'll be a a fresh uh experience to do the reverse so I talk about, I like to talk about three interaction types in RPGs. And the first one is the GM says, this is the situation. The player says, this is what I do. And then the GM says, this is now the situation. I call that type one. And that was really a lot of, that goes back to the earliest days of RPGs in D&D. Type two mechanics are where everyone's basically saying, I am doing a thing in accordance with the rules. You know, player one, player two, player three. And that's a lot of combat in RPGs now. Um, where the GM doesn't really have an elevated position or a different position of authority. They're expected to essentially play by the rules. And then the third is, hey, this thing happens, and then the next person says, this thing happens, and then player sa- next player says, this thing happens. What's interesting to me is that fate de-emphasizes that second interaction type and adds a sprinkling of the third while focusing heavily on the first. So I think all, I think really traditional games are mostly the first two, and they started out, I think, mostly more in the first, even though they did have that war game background. But that kind of informed the mechanics of how things got resolved. And they slowly shifted over time into being more of this kind of mechanics first thing. Um, so that's, I, I think, is interesting looking historically at how different games position themselves with those types of mechanics or those mm-hmm. interactions. Sorry, that makes sense. I think that does make sense. Yeah. So let's let's get in let's uh yeah let's play 
Okay, so the first thing that you're going to do if you're going to make a character in Fate, and these days I usually go for what they call quick character creation, is you're going to decide who your character is. And you're going to describe your character in like three to five words. You know, and as a, as a good example of this, why don't we go ahead and, and this can change over time. So don't feel, you know, if you're going to mention a historical character, think of him at one spot in their career, one movie or something like that. Why don't we go around and come up with some uh, examples of how you describe a character in three to five words? Um, okay. Can you give us like a genre to play in or <clears throat> do we just start Any- riffing? Yeah, take a movie, take a TV series, take a book series. Give me some examples from existing media of characters and how you would kind of lay them out in in that kind of. If you're going to talk to somebody and say in, in just as a brief sentence, who is that character? How what would you say? Okay, so the the character that's jumping in my mind and won't leave is Ryu from Street Fighter. Um, I really think he's interesting because he's surrounded with all of these greater plans and machinations from the various villains, but his motivation is very simple. He likes fighting. He wants to be the best. He wants to fight the best people. And he just walks around the the earth looking for people to box. And he really just could care less about, you know, anyone's plans. So if I was to ask you, who is you? And you were to say he is a what would would come after the word a he is a traveling street fighter who fights for its own sake. Okay, little lengthy, but pretty good. Let's keep going around the uh, the table here. Uh, There are virtual table. Um, Tiana, do you want to take us next? Sure. Um. I think that the first one that jumps into my mind is one of my favorites that I know is a little controversial at this table, Captain Marvel. Um, you can like Captain Marvel, it's fine. I like, I like Captain Marvel, she's awesome. I, right on, right um, on. That's cool. Overpowered, underconfident, limited by circumstances. But what is she? Those uh, are interesting adjectives. <laughs> uh she is a. I mean, even from what you said, I uh-huh. don't know if Captain Marvel is in the army, or if she's a lawyer, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know anything about her. What is, What is she? Um, she is a warrior for her adopted people, who is more powerful than she thinks she is. Okay. Maybe I should give a few examples, and, and maybe I'm, yeah, we're, I'm we're, wrong we're, for we're, this. We're, we're, we're kind of spinning yeah, blind here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let me give you a couple examples. I've got one. Can Shoot. I throw mine in there? Yeah. All right. Chemistry teacher who cooks meth. Perfect. Walter White. There you go. I know exactly who you're talking about. And if you tell me Walter White is a chemistry teacher who cooks meth, you, you, I'm, I'm interested, right? That, that's that's kind of cool. Um, so I'm going to give you a couple ones that I like. Two-fisted archaeologist. Indiana Jones? Bingo. A farm okay. boy with, st- with stars in his eyes. Luke? Yeah. At the beginning nice. of New Hope. At the beginning yep. of New Hope. Later on, he is the last Jedi. <laughs> although that, al- and, although that, that description could also apply to, to uh, Wesley from uh, Princess Bride. That's true. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, uh, want to give me another character and I'll see if I can come up with a quick description of, in this way. Uh, Kratos. <laughs> Kratos. Uh, which Kratos? 
uh, God of War four, the good one. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 is God of War four Dad of War? Dad of yes, War. That's right. That's the one. <laughs> That's, I like that. That's it's where he finally gets a character that isn't just like, I'm angry and I kill things. Um, I would say retired God of War looking for peace yeah, at the man. beginning. At the beginning. <laughs> at the that begin- changes. <laughs> that, that changes. But that's who he is to start. Um, anyone else? How about Batman? Um, or, or, or Bruce Wayne? I they're, figure they're interchangeable. Okay. Uh, billionaire crime fighter. There you go. That one's easy. That one's easy. Which is also Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. You know, you could even change it out a little by say, you know, billion uh, crime fighter who strikes fear into his opponents versus billionaire crime fighter, or, you know, a high-tech billionaire crime fighter. Right now, now we're a little closer. So Going back to playboy philanthropist crime fighter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm seeing I'm seeing kind of the pattern now. So if I were to go back to the Ryu example, it would just be more like wandering street fighter. And that would yeah. be about it. I mean, it, it, it perhaps it doesn't have quite as much description. I, I, and I keep going back to video game characters where like they're pretty simple for the most part. Um, video game characters you know, are often not the best examples for this because they usually don't. Because it's not really about story in that case. It's usually right. video game characters are more a collection of abilities than they really are uh, characters yeah. that have motivations and and things like that. You know, I I wonder if for the for the Ryu description, you know, if we're if we're treating you know roughly the the five word as like the limit, you could throw world world wandering Street Fighter into it. Yeah, because I I think. I think that that yeah, might be a little bit better. Yeah. That one word kind of gives it that sense of scale and right. gives you these ideas like of the lengths that he's going to, to find whatever it is he's looking for. I think that's interesting. And the three to five limit isn't a hard limit. The point is, you know, if you were to describe someone shortly, you don't want to do a whole paragraph with their whole backstory and every character they've encountered with and every motivation and every- you just kind of want the elevator pitch level of it, right? And that's kind of what we're going for here. And so what we're ta- we've been talking about for the past few minutes here is something called a high concept in fate. And that's how you start your character creation process by coming up with a high concept. Um, and it's literally that simple. Like if I want to make a character who is uh, similar to uh, Zaruichi, the blind swordsman, if you've ever seen any of those movies, I literally just write blind swordsman on my character sheet as a high concept and I'm kind of done. It's that easy. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so if, should we do that? Should we start filling out a sheet or are we not there yet? We can totally fill out a sheet. So um, what kind of genre do we want to deal with here? The only thing I'm going to request is no comics because I don't get comics enough to really be an interesting part of that conversation. That, that was my first <laughs> Thought of suggestion. (laughs) Okay, how about uh, how about uh, Roadhouse? Right, like nineteen eighties. You know, denim, high flying kicks. Patrick Swayze. Your job is to be nice until I tell you it's time to not be nice. Yep, (laughs) that's my idea. If anyone has a counter pitch, I Um, I I'm gonna be super ashamed to say. I haven't actually watched Roadhouse. I haven't either. But 
I've seen the episode of Family Guy where he roundhouse <laughs> kicks the steering wheel <laughs> to drive the car. So I feel like I kind of have seen. Okay, Rory. but like, have you seen like Chuck Norris or Karate Kid? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. No, you know, eighties <laughs> <80s> action movie. <laughs> Okay, general, general rule of thumb for me, uh, if you ask if I've seen a movie, the answer is probably no. Have, have you seen mm. Highlander? No. What if we did Highlander? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, okay. no. Oh, no. Okay, Tiana, you have to come up with something then because we I've seen it, whatever it is. I'll Do it, Tiana. Dresden Files. Oh, oh, you you are my yes. I think you just became my friend. <laughs> I yeah. love Dresden Files, and one of the reasons that I want to learn this system is to run a Dresden Files game. <sighs> I've been trying to get Adam to read the books, but he won't do it. Uh, so I mean, I, I mean, you want short pitch for for Harry Dresden, wizard in Chicago who advertises in the Yellow Pages. Literally, the one from the book is Wizard Private Eye. Yeah. That yep. is literally his high concept. It is. It can be that simple. Wizard private eye. If you're like That's thinking cool. of D&D characters, um, the easiest thing is really race and class and maybe an adjective. That is a perfectly cromulent high concept if you're doing a D&D like it. You're a, you're okay, a so, noun who verbs. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, noun who verbs. That's interesting. There you uh, go. W- what about uh, uh, blood mage phlebotomist? There you go. Would that work in this setting? 100%. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would absolutely. Right. So, Dresden Files, if you haven't read Dresden Files, we're going to do something Dresden Files-like, and we're, we'll, we'll avoid DFA in this one, and certainly the original DFRPG. It's basically the uber fantasy kitchen sink. Everything is true at some place, and every... Every ver- and not only that, but like every version of the thing exists as well. Uh, so we don't just have vampires; we have like every type of vampire that you know. We have you know everything from sparkly vampires to Dracula to yeah, we have it to Anne Rice vampires, right? Mm-hmm. So mm. Lestat. Uh, yes, you you could make an argument that Lestat would be a white court vampire easily. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got it. I. I saw Lestat the musical. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty bad. (laughs) I am a vampire. I always thought of the Anne Rice vampires as more red cork than white, though. But I can see the argument either way. Yeah, mostly because they feed off of the blood. But Lestat is just so, like, sexual that I I lean more in the white court. But so are a lot of the, uh, I mean, think of Bianca. That's fair. Yeah. Like, Bianca screams Anne Rice to me. Mm. Yeah, that's even a whereas name that she white, could probably use. Whereas the white court ones, I, I, you're gonna you're gonna hate me. Go on, I'm say it. Twilight. Yeah. Mm. No, I, I. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's, they're a half step from sparkling. I, not even I can a full see, half step. I can see why you'd go that direction. Yeah, I. Yeah, I will. Robert I will Pattinson's say, my favorite Batman. So. Yeah. As, um, and, and no one hates Twilight more than Robert Pattinson. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my god, I bet. Um I I will say let's let's try to avoid spoilers just because the Dresden Files has become very near and dear to my heart and I and yeah. there are so many freaking incredible surprises in mm-hmm. those books oh, that oh, I about don't Twilight spoilers are those okay? <laughs> Screw that. Screw that. Those (laughs) books, man. (laughs) You can't spoil a a story that crunches down to a tiny kernel. There's barely anything to spoil there. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) 
So the <laughs> there's nothing else there. Okay, let me put it this way. If you leave the milk out overnight and it gets all curdled and gross ah. and unfit for human consumption, can you actually spoil it anymore? Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tell us what fired. you really think about it, my dude. You know? Hey, you know, it, here at Inspiration Point, we try to leave room for everyone to enjoy their things. But you know what? There are some times where it is just the right thing to do to put your foot down and just, you know, save the people that can still be saved. So, you know, just... Okay, I got one for the Twilight Vampire, okay? Oh, so no. Excellent. Uh, that was a white court vampire. 100-year-old <laughs> hundred, man watches young teenage girls sleep. <laughs> that's, that's a plot synopsis. That's not uh, a high concept, though. It's not really a high. <laughs> concept. But that's what he does. He's I got the noun and the verb. You know, he's yeah, yeah. like that's what I do. That's my character. Mm, that <laughs> I mean, what in this case, does, you might that's actually not what he is. Oh, uh, I think it's kind of what it is. <laughs> love, Lauren, pathetic hundred, hundred, love, Lauren, pathetic hundred-year-old man who thinks he's sixteen. <laughs> ah, Damn. There we go. Um, okay. Fair enough. Um, All right, so we have a a blood magic phlebotomist. I, love I it. like it. Yeah. Uh, vampire doctor. Uh, we're we're going for a theme here. You know, okay. I, it's, it's it's easier to get characters together if they have a reason to know each other. Yeah. Mm. Red's anatomy. <laughs> Red's anatomy. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's see. What was yours, Tiana? Vampire doctor. So a doctor for vampires, or <laughs> no, no, a, a vampire who is a doctor. Who is a doctor? Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Although, um, I mean, it could work both directions. It could. Oh, my God. When it comes to the Dresden Files, the vampires are, like, the 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 people I hate the most. Yeah, but but, but, <laughs> I, but I would like you to imagine a white court totally. vampire who is able to feed off of, of pain. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm a noob here for <laughs> vampire lords. Like, I know about Lestat and stuff. What is the difference between red and white court? I don't know. What okay, that is. so th- so there are three courts that, that are primarily known in the Dresden Files. Black court is what you think of with like Dracula, and Nosferatu. Like they are mm-hmm. all hunger Brom, and instinct. Brom Stoker. Yeah, and with the more animalistic. Yeah, and and, and yeah, yeah. And, and and Dracula is basically Bram Stoker writing how to defeat the Black Court. Like in universe, that is the explanation for Dracula being a book. Uh, red court. Is a little bit more wibbly to describe. I guess Lestat would be the best uh, description of it. They use seduction tactics to lure their victims in. Their spit is literally a narcotic. Um, so you know, they use seduction tactics to bring people in and then feed off of them. White court vampires do not need to feed on blood. They feed on emotion, specifically very strong mm. emotion. So a mm. lot of them are like incubi, succubi type characters. They feed off of like sexual energy. There are also the ones that feed off of agony. And that mm-hmm. is literally mm-hmm. food to them. Or fear. Right. Or also fear. Like or, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually very right. much like it. Yeah. Gotcha. And they're also the ones that can go out in the sunlight. Mm-hmm. And they don't sparkle. Although I'm sure Thomas would not object to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly sure he has that inner sparkle that just shines through. <laughs> He kind of just does sparkle. Mm. Yeah, and, and, um, and white court vampires and red court vampires tend to just be like model gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting is that red courts are that way because they can craft how they look. 
white cord mm. ones just are. <laughs> That's yeah. just what they look like. Red cord are actually a bit a, a bit more like uh, the traditional idea of the fae that that like put on the the glamour to uh, draw in their prey. You wear your flesh suit. Yeah, they like these black, scaly creatures underneath their oh, suits. They're so just so gross, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I don't know what kind of vampire character I would make. Well, you don't have to. Awful. You really okay. don't have to. You, you could be don't, the don't have to be a vampire. Yeah, you could be a human. You could be a mage. You could be. But I, I don't mean, want to be a human around vampires. <laughs> Andrew doesn't want to be a werewolf because that's what he already is. I mean, as, you know? lo- as, as long as you're that's useful, you won't get that. used. Oh, that's... Hmm. Okay, let's see. Um, Changeling? Ooh. Mm. How about a Frankenstein? You want to be a Frankenstein, my dude. Like a, a, a flesh golem. Because that would be a, a, the, the good old Andrew ridiculous silly character, I feel. Sure. Let's let's go with that. Let's say <laughs> wow, that we'll, was we'll a- say sentient flesh golem. All right, I like it. I okay. like it. Now, how you came about is another interesting question. Um, so now, normally, what I would do at this point is, because I, again, I typically do go with the quick character creation, which means that there's one final decision that you'd have to make, which is your peak skill, and that's a good thing to start with. Um, so the way skills work in Fate are. Excuse me. And we'll get to this more as we get into kind of how the system works and why some of these things are skills and, and what they do and don't do. Um, is you get one skill at a rating of plus four, which is really good. You get two at plus three, three at plus two, four at plus one, and the rest are at zero. Now, the skill ranks in Fate are relative, right? So all plus four means is the best that a starting character can be for the genre and story we're telling. So if we're telling a story about, you know, uh, special forces characters or or soldiers, um, plus four in fight is going to mean something very, 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 very different than if we're telling a story about kids on bikes, Mm. right? Right. The kid on a bike, the best fighter of the kids on bikes is probably a plus one to the special forces guys. And the special forces folks are going to be like, massive skill levels with stunts and all sorts of other stuff to make them unstoppable forces of nature compared to the kids on bikes. So, you know, we, when I say, Oh, I need a higher skill because, you know, I'm more competent. It's, it's a relative rating compared to basically the rest of the party. And we calibrate the world to that. Mm. And that's very nice because it makes the math a lot easier. (laughs) You don't get into the weird positions where you're doing some generic games where if you, go too low or too high, the math breaks. We're always kind of working in the same math range, so the math holds up. So here's your skill list, and we can pick a best skill. Uh, we'll just use basically the default one. Uh, athletics, burglary, contacts. How is that a skill? We'll get into it. Crafts, deceive, drive, empathy, fight, investigate, lore, notice, physique, provoke, rapport, resources shoot stealth and will Hmm. okay so now now for the purposes of what we're doing here what i'm going to do is for any kind of special powers it's going to use the skill that sounds most like the thing you're doing so if you're made shooting fireballs you're going to use the shoot skill even though it's not a firearm (laughs) oh i see it's it's a it's a 
that's a common way of handling magic in fate. It's one of many, 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 many ways. But for things where people just expect to kind of like use magic as a as a regular ability, it's a very convenient way to do it. So, so we, we get one at four, two at three, yep. three at two, and, four at one. Yep. It basically makes a nice little pyramid. Right. Um, but for the purpose, for our sake right now, we'll just pick one. Just pick what's your plus four. Because that's also kind of defining your character to a certain extent, right? The thing that you're best at. I think for I think for mine, I'd probably and and I'm I'm saying this because I you know full disclosure I've um, I told Adam and Tiana not to read anything basically, <laughs> so they're coming into this fresh. I've read through the whole thing. Um, I I would probably go with physique for my top skill because okay. ath- athletics in in fate is much more um like if you are trying to draw analogs to D, especially fifth edition athletics seems like it runs actually much more toward dexterity kind of stuff oh okay um versus physique is like your raw physical power right am i yep. am i on track with that you are 100% on track with that. Okay. Uh, physique is is house is basically, and so you notice there's no stats. At no point have I said talked about stats. Faith doesn't have stats. And to be honest with you, even calling these things skills is a lie, um, because in most games, skill is how good you are at X. Well, how good are you at physique? That doesn't make sense. Um, mm. In fate, your skills are basically how effectively you can get your way at what it get what get your way in a scene in a way that refers to that okay so like for resources that's that's wealth that's all those uh, sorts of things like that really it boils down to in a scene there's a question and we want to like acquire something okay and you're trying to find out can i get this can i can i use my money to solve a problem have you ever seen the movie castle or the tv show castle yes and Tiana is the one with the yes on this one. Go Tiana! <laughs> oh, Everyone else says no. Tiana wins. I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch that. Right. I I saw commercials. <laughs> I watched like two episodes. <laughs> so there's one episode where they're trying to get access to a storage unit, and you know the person is not accepting. Oh, well, you're police, so I have to give you access. So Nathan Fillion just tries to buy it. Straight out. It's an auction. He's just like, I'm just going to buy it because I'm rich. He actually fails because they won't take his check. Um, or I think he didn't have his checkbook on there. But that's an example of we're trying to get access. I'm trying to get access to it by buying it. Are my resources sufficient that I can achieve this? And in this case, the answer was no. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a skill, but that is a measure of effectiveness, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So when we see things like physique, it's not a skill per se. Uh, And the other thing I will mention about skills is that generally like for fighting in like so many games, it's like your, your ability at fighting is a combination of your skill and your strength and your decks and your, your proficiencies and, and blah, 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 this entire list of things in fate. It's just your fight. If you want to be good at at fighting, take a plus four fight. You're done. Why you're good at fighting. We don't care. You're just good at getting your way by fighting. Okay. Okay. Like if you had a drunk fighter you know the the kind of drunken master thing and right. or maybe he's just really lucky but he's actually not good at fighting but for some reason whenever he fights he just stumbles in the right way hmm. that's still a plus four fight he's not actually a skilled fighter hmm. 
He's not going to teach anybody anything. He's terrible at it. But he is effective at fighting by by whatever random means that the universe loves him for. He's able to do that. So that would just be a plus four fight. So when a fight happens, he tends to come out of it all right. Exactly. And that's yeah. all that the skill rating means. So it's not really a skill in the traditional sense. Okay. I took notice for Ooh. my number one. Hmm. Um because I can smell blood and I can sense its uh presence. So like being able to like tell who's around or how many people are around, that sort of thing. Seems mm-hmm. important. Um also uh, <laughs> this is maybe just coming over from D and D. Like perception's really good. <laughs> yeah, you you have learned that. I have learned that. Oh yeah, right? no. Anytime, anytime I can get a character proficiency in perception, I do it, no matter what it takes. One hundred percent. Yeah, we don't tend to do that in fate as much. Most of those situations are going to be resolved with compels uh, in some mm. case, um, versus the oh, you didn't roll high enough. You're you're surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. We're going to usually gotcha. handle that as a compel where you've got, you either get a fate point in and out of it, or, you know, you've got a fate point to go into the bad situation. Um, the other thing that's interesting about notice and fate is you use it a lot as a support skill for others. Mm-hmm. Um, in that you sit there and think of, you know, in the movie, right? You've got the little nerdy dude behind the the barrier as his big beefy guy fights the even bigger, beefier guy in the gladiator ring, right? And the little nerdy goes... And there's a camera shot on the back of the big, the bigger, beefier guy, you know, with a, with a little weak spot in the armor. And the, the little Nergo guy goes, hey, he's weak in the back. He's got a weak spot. You need to hit him there. Um, mm. That's that's notice. Interesting. Or he could is it be, noticing uh, that. Is it could be like Sherlock in the in the new movies. Uh, I say that new. They're like already yeah, old. A decade. Like with, with like Robert Downey Jr. where mm-hmm. he like reads the guys moves and can predict them that very well could be could be noticed yeah probably with some stunt support mm-hmm. yeah. right i i noticed it could be fight skill arguably you know there's usually more than or often there's more than one skill because again we're starting with the fiction we're saying hey what skill applies and then we're doing then we're resolving it mm-hmm. uh, but yeah that's that's another good example and I like how you took an an, act, uh, an example from a movie <laughs> because these are the kinds of things that happen in movies. And they happen this way because movies have in fiction and TV shows have this language of how they present information. And that's kind of what fate hooks into. Um, we'll go into that further in as soon as we're done. Uh, I'll try everyone harder their to skills. avoid uh, video game characters. <laughs> it's like, you can tell what I do the most. Uh, I've got all mine. Um, well, you, I would really, I mean, honestly, I would just make your number one skill and then fill in the other ones over time. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Really always right. They call that. So there is an all, there's an option for fair. Uh, I can't talk. There's an option for fate character creation called quick fair character creation, which is the default for fate accelerated. And I use it 90% of the time these days. Anyway, even if I use the face trio, which we'll talk about in a bit, I usually go with quick character creation, which is literally your character creation is your high concept and your peak skill and go. And if you think about it, like when we see a new TV show, that's about what we know about characters in the first scene. We kind of know, have a general sense of who they are, and we probably know what they're good at, and that's about it. And remember I said the thing about the skills kind of being the final value? It's not all this stuff tying into it, but it's just the final value. 
this works in fate because we don't have a lot of derived calculated values, right? We don't have my base attack bonus is my, my stat bonus plus my level bonus plus, you know, anything from proficiencies plus, plus, plus. It's just your fight skill. So if I later say, okay, I didn't decide what my fight skill is and it's now three, that doesn't change anything else on your character sheet. It's just there. See, and, and, and I love things like that. I play a lot of like Delta Grain and Call of Cthulhu where the skills and the stats are, are completely separate entities, which I, I love that. Where it's, yeah. Well, Fake doesn't even have stats. Yeah, it, 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 it takes it even that step further, which I love. Yeah, just, I, I gotta say, I don't like ability scores anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, fair. One of the first... One of the first things a lot of people do with fate is what's called usually called two column fate, which is basically um, I've got two separate sets of scores that get added together. I'm not a fan because usually it does end up replicating skills and stats. And my problem with it is that skills and stats are very rarely orthogonal, right? Dex is going to tie to certain skills and not to others. Mm-hmm. Mm. So all you're really doing is is kind of pigeonholing yourself more than necessary. Um, whereas leaving it more open gives you more ability to say, okay, I can be whatever I want to be within the constraints. It places fewer constraints on there while still forcing a balance in there. Um, and it also creates less arguments at the table because now instead of one thing to argue about what's appropriate, you have two things to argue about. <laughs> so, but that, that trying to get that skill plus stat thing is such a common thing for new players to try to put back in the game. Yeah. Mm. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I mean, so it, what's everyone's? Go ahead. Well, it, that's kind of the default. People coming in from other systems. I think um, for my vampire doctor, the peak skill is going to be something like will. Okay, lore might make sense because they're a doctor, and that require that involves knowing a lot of things about a lot of things. That's true, but so, but, but but also vampire. So uh, and and doctors tend to have a very strong force of personality. So the mm-hmm. the ability to come into a situation and. Um, Get uh, get what they want by sheer force of will, which is what I'm thinking of, not knowing anything about these skills. Yeah, I I'm so there's basically two skills that are used in fate to get what you want out of people, um, and neither are mind control, um, <laughs> and we'll get into that later. They are provoke and rapport. Interesting. Provoke is provoke is basically I'm going to get what I want, and you're not going to be happy about it. Rapport is I'm going to get what I want and you are going to be happy about it. So then in that case, knowing that I'd lean more turn toward rapport because it's like, yeah, I'm going to kind of trick you into getting what I want. That would be more deceive. Rapport <laughs> is you're actually <laughs> making positive connections to people. You are building rapport with them. Uh-huh. Mm. If you're trying to trick them, that's going to be deceive. If you're right. trying to bend them to your will, that's closer to, prov- to provoke. Uh, and this is where it starts to get into the splitting uh-huh. hair side of the side of skills. Which it happens it's, in every system. It's just, just where the splits I, happen changes. I just moved a seat up. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, go on. It's um, now the plus three row. <laughs> so, so provoke. I mean, you know, if if you were looking at, you know, the D and D analog, you're basically looking at uh, intimidate, sure, uh, persuasion, and deception. Um, yeah. So provoke. You're you're. You know, you're you're getting what you want by ticking someone off. Rapport, mm-hmm. you're you are genuinely trying to get along with this person and find some some way that the two of you walk away from this happy. 
and then deceive is like you're you're trying well you're you're trying to get something from them um without them being at least fully aware of like what's actually going on okay right so, so i'll just i'll just read from the srd real quick okay provoke provoke is a skill about getting someone's dander up and eliciting negative emotional response from them mm-hmm. fear anger shame etc it's the being a jerk skill ah. to use provoke you need some <laughs> kind of justification that could come entirely from the situation or because you have an aspect that's appropriate or because you've created an advantage with another skill and we'll explain create advantage later like rapport or deceive or because you've assessed your target's aspects, see empathy. The skill requires that your target can feel emotions. Robots and zombies typically can't be provoked. So overcome, mm. which is the general do something action, you can provoke someone into doing what you want in a fit of emotional peak. You might intimidate them for information, piss them off so badly that they act out, or scare them into running away. This will often happen when you're going against nameless NPCs or it isn't worthwhile to play out the particulars. Against PCs or important NPCs, you'll need to win a contest they oppose with will. That is provoke. Mm. Rapport. The rapport skill is all about making positive connections to people and eliciting positive emotion. It's the skill of being liked and trusted. Overcome. Use rapport to charm or inspire people to do what you want or to establish a good connection with them. Charm your way past the guard or convince someone to take you into their confidence or become the man of the hour at the local tavern. For nameless NPCs, this is just an overcome action, but you may have to enter a contest to sufficiently ingratiate yourself to a named NPC or PC. And then deceive. And you notice those are very mirror skills. Mm-hmm. Even the language, it's, it's copy-paste. Deceive is a skill about lying to and misdirecting people. Overcome. Use deceive to bluff your way past someone or to get someone to believe a lie or to get something out of someone because they believe in one of your lies. In this case, you know, Rob's Rob's aside here, the lie can be, I like you. For nameless NPCs, this is just an overcome role, blah, 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 blah. Uh, to deceive is also the skill for, used for determining if disguise works. Um, and you can use it to do sleight of hand in misdirection. Um, and, and when we talk about what a skill does, I, I kind of want to flip that a little bit. And, and the way I think of skills in fate, and this goes back to the fiction first thing, is it's not the skill does these things. It's the other way around. It's when I do these things, what skill do I refer to? Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's not like a button that I push in an MMO. It says, this is, a, this is a skill. This is the button that makes X happen. It's I've decided in, in the fictional world, this is what my character is doing. And then we negotiate with the GM what that means and what might happen. And then when we figure out what actually happens, that's when we say, okay, what skill do I use in the role? It's just a way of getting a number to match up with an action that we're taking. So I have a question. Um, <laughs> I thought you might. Uh, I'm just noticing here on the character sheet that there is a row for plus five. Uh, is uh-huh. that something that comes in during the course of the game? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. That's what I figured. Uh, there is advancement in Fate Core by default. Um, it can take a while and we can get into how that works. So that's, I mean, that's definitely one of the subjects that's more straightforward and mechanical and be, can be fairly easily read up on without a whole lot of explanation. Gotcha. Uh, but, but yes, but I will tell you now that by default in Fate Core, you get your skill at plus four. You don't get to bump it up, you know, as a general rule just because I want to start with the plus five. So, and that's really cool if you think about it from a GM balance standpoint. I know 
that everybody's best ability is going to be plus four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't have to worry if I have two characters that both say they're really good at fighting, and but one's got a plus eight and one's got a plus four. How do I make that work? You don't have to worry about that. All right. So everyone want to tell me their 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 peak skill? All right. So my peak skill is physique. That makes sense. Okay. I figure I'd lean into type on this one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll I'll go heavy Andrew. Yep. By the way, I'm so, just picturing Andrew with like bolts on his neck and stitches. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so remember how I said that there's no derived values in fate? This is one of the cases where I lied. Um, physique and will can both give you additional stress or consequence slots. Hmm. Um, that's the only actual thing where like one value changes another. Um, apart from that, it's all very, very straightforward. What you see is what you get. If you've ever played other like generic or more modular systems like GURPS or Hero System, you know, kind of like I'm putting together the Legos. You know, I, I, I kind of imagine those games as Lego kits, whereas Fate is a 3D printer. You just kind of say, I want this, and you push the button, and you've got it. All right, so we got a physique. What else have we got? Uh, I decided to bounce back to to your first suggestion. It's almost like you know the system much better than I do. Uh, (laughs) Weird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jump jump into lore, because you're right. A doctor would know a lot of things about a lot of things, and someone who's been around for a couple hundred years would also know a lot about a lot. That all Absolutely. And for our third, so we've got a physique, we've got a lore, and what is our third? Notice. Notice. Ooh. We're sticking with notice. I'm going to stick with Great. notice. We can find the vein. We can see uh, what might be ailing you. Um, but that's more due to experience. I, w- I would say my lore is going to be less than the actual doctor. Mm-hmm. Sure. That makes sense for, uh, uh, I was going to say a vampire, but you're like a vampire vampire. So, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, notice skill involves just that noticing things. It's a counterpart to investigate representing characters, overall perception, ability to pick out details at a glance and other powers of observation. Usually when you use notice, it's very quick compared to investigate. So the kind of details you get it are more superficial, but you also don't have to expend as much effort to find them. Um, Mostly used for create advantage. You can use notices, create aspects based on direct observation, looking mm-hmm. over a room for details that stand out, finding an escape route in a debris-filled building, noticing something sticking out in a crowd, etc. When you're watching people, notice can tell you what's going on with them externally for internal changes. See, empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get into that. So now we've got our peak skill. We've had a nice little talk about skills. We have a high concept, which is an aspect. But the other things that we'll fill out on our characters, and again, for quick character creations, you don't actually need to do this yet, but I think it's worth going over, are aspects and stunts. Mm-hmm. Which do we want to go over first? Aspects may be more interesting. Well, let's, then, let's do aspects first, because I just want to go from top to bottom. <laughs> I, All right, I, I like it. I also think, you know, aspects are such a such a fundamental, massively important it, possibly the most important aspect of <laughs> uh, of the entire system. Like everything revolves around aspects pretty much, I, I think. To a great extent, yes. I do find that some people overestimate their importance because skills I, I may are have done just used that. a lot. <laughs> skills are used a lot. And there's a couple different views of aspects. Some people view them as fairly specific things. Some people just basically view them as, as general game widget. Mm. Um, I'm in the first camp, and I'll explain to you what how I see them. Um, 
And I'm going to kind of get to that in kind of a back, backwards way. Um, if you notice, I do that a lot. I tend to like starting with examples and how things are used rather than getting into just defining them so you have some context. And this is where those of you who have some writing experience are going to go, oh, yeah, that. Um, mm. What An example of an aspect. We have we all seen the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Adam Adam's not a fan. I uh, love that Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. You don't have to lie. It's okay, Adam. I, I can ex- I, I can accept your wrongness. I can accept how wrong you are about that, and you're just like you know you don't have. It's it's okay. Live your truth. Um, okay, so here is my go-to example of an aspect as as kind of the first thing that everyone almost everybody that is involved in video or in in RPGs has seen, because we've all seen Guardians of the Galaxy a bazillion times. Mm -hmm. The beginning of the movie, Star-Lord is flying down. May have been easy. He's either flying out or flying out. It doesn't matter. And as he's flying around in the space above the planet, we see these crazy ass geysers going off everywhere, right? Geyser, geyser, geyser. And then he lands on the planet and he gets the orb and, you know, Chaos ensues, and then he gets back in his ship, and he runs to the ship, and he gets in his ship, and he flies off. And what happens? He gets hit by a geyser, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Would that have worked if we didn't see the geysers on his way down? No. No. You have to set it up. Okay. Bingo. So, in writing terms, what an aspect is, is it's, it's the setup or plant in the setup and payoff or plant and payoff cycle. It's establishing something with the audience, in this case, the players, so that you can have it be relevant later and it can impact things in a significant way later, right? It's much like, you know, you see, oh, we're going to fight on the, on the icy, on the icy uh, roof. And, okay, it's an icy roof. Is it an icy roof or is it an icy roof? If it's just like, oh, it looks icy, it's probably just backdrop. But as soon as that camera focuses on that patch of ice, you know someone's going to slip on it. Mm. <laughs> it's... Uh- Chekhov's gun. I literally just wrote that in my notes. Right. Sort of, kind of, because Chekhov was really talking about economy of information versus the necessity of setting something up before. The original Chekhov's gun was actually a speech. Hmm. He he wrote about it. It was talking about a speech in a play where some author said, hey, this speech doesn't actually advance the plot or really provide this relevant information to the character, but I really love it. And Chekhov's answer was, if it's not critical, it needs to go away. And that's also important in a play, which has to be much more tighter economy of information. And I'll talk about economy of information. The other example I use is like, if you're, if you're in a modern day setting, you don't want somebody to just get attacked by ninjas because ninjas don't generally attack people. Mm. That's not a thing that actually happens, right? So what you want to do is you want to start by having a a TV in the background talking about strange ninja attacks. Now, when you get attacked by ninjas, it's not a big deal. You understand the the audience is prepared for it. Exactly. Or like beginning of iRobot and and shame me for watching it. That's okay. I'll accept my my (laughs) drubbing on this one. You know, he's talking at the beginning, he's talking about his robot hand and how indestructible as he's, he's so sad because his hand's indestructible and it's not human and everything else. And at the end, he uses the indestructibleness of the hand to slide down the thing that would have otherwise, like, destroyed him. I think he uses it to get inside a force field and stuff, too, right? So, mm-hmm. he uses that, that hand that is indestructible to get through there, but we had to be told about it first. 
Think about A New Hope. Beginning of the movie, we see Han Solo talking with, with Greedo about how Jabba wants his money. Well, that's, that's an aspect right there. And then later, Han Solo leaves before the attack on the Death Star because Jabba wants his money. So in Fate, and I'm going to start with the fictional examples, and I'm going to tell you how they're used, and then we'll get into kind of the definition of them. Aspects in Fate are primarily, primarily, and there's lots of different types of aspects. They, they litter the game. They're primarily used for two things. The first is what's called an invoke, which allows you to modify the results of a die roll by two, which is basically an entire level of success. Um, so it's going to take you from like neutral to good success, from good success to great success, um, from regular failure to at least neutral, if not into full success. Um, and it doesn't, it's not a retro in a way a lot of games handle. We'll get on to like what you do in that in a second. The other thing is it's used primarily for is a compel, which is a complication that is added for a character um, based on an aspect, right? This is where, oh, because, you know, we see the, the thing of the TV report of the ninja attacks in the city. So I say, there is now a setting aspect called ninja attacks in the city. Now, later on, oh, now that because we know there's ninja attacks, of course, ninjas are going to attack you now. And that is the main ways that aspects are used in the game. They also are just true. So they're, they're good to note certain facts that we want to keep in our heads. Um, they can also be used to kind of help with declarations, which are kind of, you can think of them as the opposite of a, de of a compel. They're a coincidence that goes your way instead of one that doesn't go your way. So, can anyone give me any example of what they think might be? Well, so let me let me let me rewind. Um, for all the old people, that was supposed to be the tape rewinding in the cassette recorder. No, I mean I got yeah, it. that one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was gonna say I'm not that old, but I, I had tape. I had tape players. If I uh, get any comments from anyone who's like, "Why did he make all those squeaky sounds?" Like just to, <laughs> I used to have the race car me. rewinder. Oh, those yeah. are so good. Yeah. yeah. Be yeah. kind. Yep. Rewind. Be kind. Rewind. Oh. Yep. <laughs> that was or, the only or, thing you did was it rewound the videotape. Mm -hmm. Or get fined. Yep. Stupid blockbuster. <laughs> so a good example. Yeah. A good example of, a, of an invoke in the movie Gladiator, right? At the end of it, Maximus is is fighting the emperor and he he's like succumbing to the poison he's about to fail and he's trying but he's failing because of the poison and he remembers his family and he sees him in his eye and he's like i'm gonna do this and it, it gives him that burst of effort to continue through and succeed that's why that's, gladiator counts as an anime <laughs> <laughs> that's an invoke so invokes are generally used and this is why they take place after the roll to change the result in a positive way. And it's usually presented in that kind of, it looked like you're going to fail. You haven't failed yet. It looks like you're about to fail. But then because of this other thing that we referenced earlier, now mm -hmm. you win. So this would be a good place um, mm -hmm. to kind of maybe think of a good example, a good uh, exercise of, can we think of anything from any movies or TV shows or books that seem kind of like they might be invocations? So like hmm. I I would have failed, but because of this, I didn't. And even more so, the the pattern is usually more like not just because, because that's like, oh, I failed because it was dark, mm. but I probably would have succeeded otherwise. It's like it's more like I was about to fail. 
Oh. The failure was imminent, and then there was a reversal. An invoke is almost always a reversal. Mm. And it could be I was going to win, but then something happened that made me fail. It could be I was going to fail, but then something happened that made me win. And that could be internal or external. Anyone have any 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 suggestions or ideas? This, uh, this one I got to think uh, about a little bit more. Uh, let me see. Um, uh, because this, okay. um, Tony Stark notices that uh when he flies up super high his uh suit ices over and it nearly causes him to crash but later on in his fight with uh with obadiah stain he asks him how he solved the icing problem and obadiah didn't know about it that is a great example um that could have either been mechanically a compel a declaration or an invoke um, I could make arguments for either, any of the above, but that is a fantastic example, and that shows exactly the pattern I'm talking about with aspects. Mm. We see this problem, it becomes an aspect, we later on use it mechanically to change the result. It looked like Obadiah was going to get him, but then he did because of the icing problem that we knew about from earlier. Yep. That is perfect. Awesome. Mm. Andrew, Tiana, I expect you'd have something here, Tiana. I'm, I am putting you on the hotspot a little bit, you know, because you said uh, you do a lot of writing. So, well, and and the the thing is that I uh, I have a bad memory about some things, so I have like the vague, ah, the, me too. The, the vague memory of a lot of different characters doing exactly what you described in Gladiator, where it's like the flashes of, you know, the family that pushes them to push, but I can't pin anything right. down. So, like, one of the examples I used in the book of Hans when talking about Nanak, the IP-friendly barbarian, um, <laughs> was, you know, and, it, and this is such a cliche, like, they're clashing and they've got the swords against each other. And then the, the barbarian goes, and pushes with all of his might. And we see his rippling barbarian fuse, you know, you know flexing. Uh, that's a good example of, of an invoke. Because it looked like maybe he wasn't going to, but then, you know, his, his massive fuse just go and he's able to push for it. That's kind of like to me, one of the, the canonical um, examples. So I, I think I, I think I may have one um, and the spoilers for anyone who uh, uh, spoilers for the game of Thrones uh, TV series, as well as the books. <laughs> oh, I think I know what um, you're talking about. <laughs> so in, um, in I want to say like season four or so, there's a big climactic uh, fight that's a trial by combat for Tyrion's mm -hmm. innocence between Gregor Clegane and um, Oberyn Martell. And Martell. That's right. And basically, uh, Oberyn has uh, has Clegane down and mm -hmm. is taunting him and taunting him and taunting him. But because of Clegane's resilience and uh, combined with Oberyn's uh, hubris, hubris, ex thank you, that's a perfect word. Um, Clegane gets the opportunity to basically, he was about to die, but because this thing happened, he was able to basically take advantage of the hubris going on in the situation and save himself and kill Oberyn Martell in order to survive. That is a fantastic example. That's exactly the kind of thing 
And one of the cool things about Fade, one of the things I really, really love about this system is it prompts us as players to come up with these moments and gives us a framework that makes these moments happen. Um, I remember one time I was running a game based on the Brutal Legend video game. Mr. Don't Do Things on Video Games. (laughs) um, I just don't think as examples, as worlds, they can be fantastic. Um, Someone had, um, he was trying to punch one of the big glitter fists and he just, you know, he actually invoked his giant fist to, to catch it, right? And then he looked over at his his unrequited love and, you know, uh, there's something else. that he, he And it was this big moment where he invoked, like, all these aspects and it kind of turned into this little mini story and he just knocked that guy immediately out. Um, and it's really the fact that the game kind of incorporates these and encourages these things. That is one of the things I love about it so much. Um so we've talked about those ideas. So let's get down to the mechanics of, of invocations and compels and declarations. So they're, 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 declarations and compels are fairly similar. Um, invokes are different. Invokes happen are, they're essentially purely mechanical. Well, 90%. They're as purely mechanical as anything in Fate is, which is not very. Normally, when you fail something, especially for a player, often for an NPC, you want to narrate up until the point where the failure is imminent and obvious, okay? So when I roll to attack, we don't say you hit or you missed. We say he tries to parry, but it looks like he's not fast enough. We're creating that that opening. And sometimes the person will say, okay, I'm not doing anything. Okay, cool, it connects, boom, done. But other times what we want to do is we want to allow this invocation of an aspect to happen. And what you do with that is you say, and I always like to think of it as what's on screen. What do you see on screen? What do you see on screen that shows you what's happening? The flashback to Maximus's family, um, mm. you know, seeing over and gloating, right? Really shows the hubris and shows how it creates that open opportunity. Um, then you get a plus two to your roll and you can do that multiple times. Um, there are limits to how often you can do it on a particular aspect that we'll get into maybe a little bit later in the nitty gritty. And then, you know, the other person can do as well. But again, each time you're doing this, you're adding narration. So you're creating this kind of back and forth moment in the game of what's going on back and forth. And it creates these really cool moments. And that's an invocation. The other thing, the next most common thing is called a compel. And there's two types of compels. There's what are called event compels and decision compels. And they both, and they have Mad Libs associated with them. The decision compel is because of aspect, it makes sense that you would do some action. And because of that, complication occurs. Darn your luck. The event version of a compel is because of aspect, it makes sense that event would happen. Because of this, complication occurs. Darn your luck. So in each case, we're creating a complication. That's really the key here. Um, and those are happening at the narrative level. They're not mechanical events, right? So it's now something is different. I've thrown a complication in front of you. I haven't just changed your numbers. Uh, like a good example of that might be, you know, I, I swear that Star Wars has a setting level aspect or a campaign level aspect of I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> and Empire Strikes Back, they're in the cave in the, in the asteroid. I've got a bad feeling about this, right? I, I'm just imagining... Um, uh, God, what's his name? Well, I can't remember his Dirk name. Lucas. Director Lucas, 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 kind of dangling out that fate point at his table, going, 
don't you have a bad feeling about this right now? <laughs> I do. Like, yeah. I do have a bad like, feeling about this. Since you've got a bad feeling about this right now, wouldn't it make sense that you've actually landed in the mouth of a giant worm? And this goes wrong when it notices you're there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So I'm in that situation. I'm picturing that up until that point, they've just landed in an asteroid if we're assuming that the characters are players in a game of fate and it actually hasn't been established that this asteroid has a giant gross space worm in it. But Lucas being the game master is sitting there going, Ooh, I know a way I could make this, you know, go sideways. So then he hangs that out there and goes, and doesn't tell him what he's thinking, but goes, hey, uh, anyone have a bad feeling about this? You want a fate point? Eh? Yeah. Absolutely. Then if Absolutely. they take the bait, boom, you implement. Well, and there's two ways. That's like as an event compel. There's kind of a couple ways you can handle that. One, you could be total transparent about it. Two, you could start with, wouldn't it make sense that, you know, some cave creatures would land on your screen, which Mm -hmm. is actually what happened in the movie. They didn't do it. You could be just vague. Okay, you want a faint point? I'm going to throw a complication at you. I'd probably go with the immediate, the, the the critters land on your screen. Mm. Um, I'm also, I, I do run fate on the traditional side, though. A lot of the old school fate people also do. And when I've had a chance to play with uh, one of the Hatters who is now unfortunately deceased, mm. um, he ran very similar to me. Um, I don't like retro being retroactive on things. I don't like mm. retcons. Mm. I just don't like them. Okay. Um, I don't like, peeling back the the screen that much some people love it and they just really want everything to just be like almost like that collaborative writing room and if that's a great way and if the game supports it that's not what i do mm-hmm. um so i prefer the style of event declaration that says if you don't take or event compel it says if you don't accept the compel the event still happens but the complication doesn't mm. okay So in that case, as soon as he says that, yeah, maybe that wasn't established before, but he's saying, okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're in the mouth of a cave critter. The compel is really, are you accepting the complication or does it end up that, you know, the cave critter ends up being uh, dormant and doesn't really notice you in a way that causes any significant complications. Okay. Um, So, so, and and that's a matter Do you want this to be for your character? Yeah, how much yeah, exactly. Exactly. And really, if you're if you're doing compels, your player should accept most of them. And mm-hmm. when they don't, it should probably be a pretty, you know, significant moment. Hmm. Um especially for like decision compels. Like if you have a character that's an alcoholic and you're just not taking those compels, then why is your character an alcoholic? Right. Like mm. when you make that aspect, you're basically telling me, I want my alcoholism to be part of the story. Mm. And, you know, there's a conversation to have there, but if you don't want that to be part of the story, then choose a different aspect. Mm. So I, I would like to back up a little bit here. Cause I think there is a, yeah. li- a lot of terms kind of being thrown around that we don't necessarily Absolutely. have hard definitions for. Sure. And also we need to exemplify these things. So Absolutely. like I'm looking at my sheet and it says aspect, but we've talked about aspect invocation compel and i'm like are these different are they the same i'm not really sure can we write an aspect and then use it 
Okay. And I'm going to go back to um, my example or my usual thing of let's use existing fictional characters. Now, there can be aspects that are on characters, on the setting, on the situation, on the campaign, whatever. For now, let's just worry about character aspects. And these are things that are brought up initially and then become important later. High concept actually is an aspect and is mechanically treated similar. There's another type of aspect, which is called a trouble, yeah. which is it's just a standard aspect in all ways. The only difference is it is explicitly intended to cause you problems. It is like the one slot that is reserved for put something in here that makes your life hell. Um, so that is the only real difference. So an aspect, if you look at it mechanically, is just a short phrase. But it's a short phrase that exists to have these things done with it. And the, the, thing, the things that can be done with it are those compels, those invocations, and a declaration, which is kind of like the opposite. It's because of declarations don't really have to be rooted in aspects, but they should be. And it's because of this, it makes sense that this thing would be true that goes in my way. Yay me. Um, so in the case of my, my blood mage, could yeah. I do a thing where my trouble is that essentially the vampires around uh, know about me and they're basically like, we'll kill you and everyone close to you unless you continuously supply us with blood. Absolutely. Absolutely. And something like indebted or in service to, you know, and in invent the name of the group of vampires that have you under their thumb. That okay. is a perfect, that is a perfect example of a trouble. All right. Indebted now, to vampire mafia. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, I'll be honest with you. Writing aspects for, for PCs is something that I rarely do at character creation. I usually do it through quick character creation, and that goes doubly so with new characters or new players to fate because their understanding of what makes a good aspect is usually informed better through play. But I think an interesting exercise would be, let's. I'm going to name a couple fictional characters, and I'm going to lean heavily on Star Wars. I'm not going to lie. Um, and tell me what you think some aspects might be and think about when these might have been invoked or compelled. Um, so let's just start with Luke. Oh, you want us to come up with an aspect or you're coming? Yeah, what it, no, you come up with what you oh. think an aspect of Luke Skywalker might be. Uh, he is. See, this is where I need a little bit of a just a hard definition. Um, is a short is a, an aspect is a short phrase that is relevant to the character. Um, but again, what I'm going to say is the real definition is it's something to be invoked or compelled. Okay. So Luke, um, wants to get out of farm life and mm -hmm. join the, the rebellion. Yeah. Right? I mean, does he want to sign up with the rebellion or he just wants to be a pilot, right? Yeah. No, he wants to be part of the rebellion. Okay. He keeps asking about that at the beginning. Okay. So he wants to leave farm life and be part of the rebellion. Okay. So, and we've talked about these invokes, which are kind of these reversals or these compels, which are these complications that happen. Can you think of how that? Oh, right. So, so his issue, okay. Luke is a farmer, harvest season's coming up. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why Owen and Baru have to die <laughs> basically <laughs> is to, to get him off the world. Uh, but that's also his initial refusal of his call to adventure. It's the heart. He right. can't leave for harvest. Is that helpful? I don't know. So what point does he either make a decision, have something happen to him or have a reversal because of that? So like a reversal on an action on him trying to accomplish something. Right. So I think 
Yeah, like because he when he tells he tells Obi Wan he can't leave, even though he wants to. That could very well be a compel against an aspect, you know, it says I, I have to do the farm work. Right. Right. Because Obi Wan is saying, Hey, I know you wanna join the rebellion, so he's pointing out that aspect and saying, Why don't you? Right. Right. And then right. he goes, Well, I can't because family life. And then Obi Wan low low key calls in stormtroopers in order to get Maru <laughs> killed. So <laughs> gotta get this ball moving. That's my that's my film theory. Sorry, I gotta take this phone call real quick. Just I, I'll, I'll only be a second. I need you to take him out. Take him out now. Go go go. Well, I think I think yeah, guys. I have an anonymous tip. <laughs> I think maybe an earlier aspect was when uh, Obi Wan was telling him about his father, mm-hmm. um, because he talks about his father being, you know, a hero and uh, a Jedi. Right? Am I, am I misremembering that? And that and so how- and that and that gets um, that gets invoked later when I mean much later when Luke says, "I am a Jedi like my father before me," as a way to fight back against what's happening in way back in um, uh, Return of the Jedi. That's actually interesting, and it's actually really interesting whether that's that aspect was uh, declared at that point or later on. One of the interesting things about fate is that these aspects, because these are these these narrative truths more than they are mechanical building blocks, um, they change all the time. Mm-hmm. Every session, basically, you're allowed to swap out one of your aspects for something else. Really? Um, because that's really, a absolutely, because that's really your way of saying, hey, I want my story to focus on this right now. And that's one of the reasons that I'm also very loose about coming up with aspects at the beginning, because as we learn more about the characters usually, and or as we have opportunities to invoke or compel, it usually becomes obvious what the aspects should be. Like, the, if I remember right, the only ones that are intended to be, like, hyper-fixed are your, your high concept and your trouble. Right. And even those aren't hyper fixed. Mm. Those aren't even hyper fixed. They're more fixed. Right. They're 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 harder to move. They're they're more resistant to change, but they are not uh, in any way, shape or form unchangeable. I mean, again, let's let's look at Luke Skywalker. He's a farm boy with star with stars in his eyes. We established that that's who he is at the beginning of New Hope. Is that who he is at the beginning of Return of the Jedi? No, no, he's not. So his his high concept has changed. Hmm. Han Solo, his trouble at the beginning of New Hope is of New Hope is Jabba wants his money. Hmm. Now, that's certainly not the case, you know. After the beginning of Return of the Jedi, <laughs> spoilers, right? Jabba doesn't want much of anything after that. <laughs> that's right. So you know, and there's actually some really cool uh, examples using like Conan and a couple other characters, uh, and I think they're done with fate accelerated. Um, about how the character evolves over time and advanced over time through his adventures and how his aspects changed, how they, his skills changed. Because one of the things you can also do at any at the end of any session is swap two skill positions. Mm. Right? What's your peak skill today doesn't have to be your peak skill tomorrow. Um, and so as Cody kind of went from, you know, young and dumb and just big and hitting stuff to becoming, you know, the king and... And and his the scope of what he did changed his skills his stats or his skills his aspects and even his stunts changed over time. That makes sense. Okay, so the final thing that's really the core of your character building in 
in Fate, and again, these are usually things I come up with a lot of people do over the course of games using quick character creation, is called a stunt. And a stunt is one of the easiest things to explain to most gamers in Fate, because a stunt is a feat. It really is that simple. It's an advantage in GURPS. Uh, it's an edge. It's all of these things that are basically, I have some bonus in some scenario, or I get to break the rules in some way. And that's what a stunt is. It's, it's, I have this conditional thing that I'm, I'm really awesome and is special for me. So it can be, I'm really good at, I'm, I'm good at fighting because I got plus four, but man, when I am like dueling somebody one-on-one, I'm the best. Um, that's a good example of a stunt. Uh, other stunts are things like, I always have a weapon on me. And that is just a simple truth. Or once per session, I can build uh you know the exact tool i need out of whatever is around me and that's an example of a stunt and those are pretty simple the only thing i would say about stunts that's kind of a little caveat is they need to be fairly narrow if you think about it they should really be equivalent to about plus six total bonus per session average three you know which is basically the same as three invokes i mentioned invoke is a plus two so that's basically the same as three invokes or it could be a plus one six times or or whatever. What you don't want to do is you don't want things like, oh, I'm really good at fighting with a sword because you're, you're 90% of the time you're fighting, you're going to have a sword. That's just a better skill. That just means you need to, your fight skill to be higher. Um, and again, I, I do find a lot of times that people have problems coming up with these in advance, especially if they're not new to fate or if they're, yeah, if they are new to fate, but usually that's a good great place while you're playing the game to say, hey, you know what? It seems like something your character would probably be pretty good at why don't we throw a stunt? Mm. And I I also remember reading that the stunts are good ex, um, are good examples of like uh, you know what your character's special thing is you know almost like a like an action version of like a catchphrase or you know a special little thing that they're kind of known for doing. They don't do it all the time, but when they do it, you're like, oh, there's the thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Whether that's just, you know, oh, I'm the best dueler. Okay, I'm fighting and fighting, but oh, I'm now in a duel and I'm so amazing. Or it's I'm using my rocket boost, which lets me do this one thing, you know, or whatever the case may be. That's that's a good example of, of what stunts are. It should be kind of your shtick, right. I guess, is a good way of putting it. Um, I'm noticing those are- that here in the book that, like, each of the skills has example stunts. Are these, this is not a menu though. These are uh, examples. examples. Correct. Okay. Everything in fate should really be bespoke. Um, It should be about your character. And that's, I think one of the things that sometimes people have issues with, with fate. And that's why I do prefer quick character creation is that kind of blank page thing can be daunting. Um, Because there's just no hard edges for your, your ideas to crystallize on. Um, and stunts can be problematic with that as well. So it should generally be bespoke. If you happen to see a stunt that's close to what you want or gives you an idea, take it, modify it, do whatever you want. That's 100% correct. But they're really there to, to more spark your imagination than to be a menu or here's the options and how can I pick the options that work together best and optimize in, in kind of a care, op, care build kind of way. Um, and again, usually in play, you'll come up with ideas of, hey, this would be an awesome stunt. And that's really, I mean, apart from 
uh, we can talk about the face trio next time. We can talk about a couple other things, apart from some bookkeeping about will and physique changing your, your number of stress boxes. That's really character creation. And we've, we've gone on this for a while, but we've explained a lot of concepts and I think gone into a good amount of kind of not only how, but why, um, but really, as I said, uh, if I'm teaching somebody for the first time, we're not going into this level of detail and explanation of kind of as a record. I, I usually get through this in about five minutes if I'm doing quick character creation, nice. a little bit longer otherwise. That's awesome. Okay, so that's great. I think this is where we're going to wrap this episode, uh, everybody. So, um, Rob, first of all, I want to say a huge thank you. This was really My terrific. Tiana and Adam, thank you both for for being here for this. this. I hope this was interesting for you guys. Yeah, I definitely have a, a lot to think about with all of this. It definitely changes the way that I think about TTRPGs. My brain kind of hurts. Doesn't it? It's like, <laughs> whoa, what? Yeah, I, think, oh, I think hopefully what we can do a little bit next time is kind of example playtesting to yeah. kind of just use it like using the movies is definitely helpful but i want to start using my character to learn the game mm. yeah let's yeah, do that. that that's very much how i tend to learn as well it's like I, this doesn't make any sense until i do it you know hands-on mm-hmm. yeah the um cool. uh the phase trio is also something that um i'm very much looking forward to because that's the basically how you set the stage for everything. And I feel like that also um, sets the sets the groundwork and establishes for the first time um, how fate really uh, it establishes how fate views the player GM relationship. And I think that part is huge to me, at least. Oh, for sure. For sure. Cool. Cool. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Um, if any spots in this were confusing, um, be sure to, you know, rewind, give things a couple, uh, you know, do a few re-listens if you need to. Um, also as a reminder, check out, uh, the fate core, uh, document online so that, um, you can read about what's there. Also, uh, Rob mentioned that he even prefers Fate Condensed. So that is also um, available on the website, too. So all that stuff having been said, thank you, everybody, for hanging out. We're going to cut this episode here. And uh, until next time, stay inspired. Bye. 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 Bye.